Hi, I'm Robert Jeffress, and I'm glad to serve as your Bible teacher every day on this great radio station on today's edition of Pathway to Victory. Heaven is not going to be like one long, boring, never-ending church service. Instead, Jesus taught that heaven, more than anything, could be described as a party. A big blowout party to which everyone is invited, but only a few of the most unlikely guests are actually going to attend. Welcome to Pathway to Victory with author and pastor, Dr. Robert Jeffers. When most people think about heaven, they might picture an idyllic city floating on clouds with angels lazily plucking at harps. Sounds boring, doesn't it? Well, today on Pathway to Victory, Dr. Robert Jeffress opens to the parable of the wedding banquet to show us what God's kingdom is really like. Now, here's our Bible teacher to introduce today's message. Dr. Jeffress? David, while the eyes of the world are focused on rising inflation, the conflict in Eastern Europe, and the cultural chaos inside our own country, I've chosen to spend the entire month of June looking vertically towards heaven rather than horizontally towards man. Our current teaching series is focused solely on Jesus, and in particular, the favorite stories he told. To complement this series, I wrote a helpful brochure for you in which I've identified 17 of Jesus' parables. In this colorful, multifolded resource, I explain what Jesus was teaching and why his stories are relevant to your life today. This complimentary pamphlet is called The Parables of Jesus, and it's my gift to you simply by going to ptv.org. Plus, I've written a new, fully illustrated children's book designed to entertain and inspire the child in your life with the timeless lessons from Jesus. My new book is called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. Jesus Christ is the only hope for our nation and our world, and it's our duty as parents and grandparents to ignite this flame of hope in the hearts of the children we love. And when you give a generous gift to support the ministry of Pathway to Victory, be sure to request your copy of Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. Let me add that Pathway to Victory is the grateful recipient of a matching challenge in the amount of $500,000. Because of this matching challenge, every gift you give has two times the impact. I'll say more about these opportunities a bit later. But right now, let's turn our attention to Matthew chapter 22, where we find another favorite story from Jesus. I titled today's message, The Kingdom of God is a Party. In his book, What's So Amazing About Grace, Philip Yancey recounts a story that first appeared in the Boston Globe in June of 1990. It was about a wedding banquet that was about to take place. A few months before the banquet, the prospective bride and her fiancé went to the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston to order the meal. The two of them poured over the menu. They made selections of china and silver, pointed to pictures of the flower arrangements that they liked. They both had expensive taste, and the bill came to $13,000. After leaving a check for half that amount as a down payment, The couple went home to flip through the books of wedding announcements. The day the announcements were supposed to hit the mailbox, the potential groom got cold feet. I'm just not sure, he said. It's a big commitment. Let's think about this a little longer. 
When his angry fiance returned to the Hyatt to cancel the banquet, the event manager couldn't have been more understanding. The same thing happened to me, honey, she said, and told the story of her own broken engagement. But about the refund, she had bad news. The contract is binding. You're only entitled to $1,300 back. You have two options, forfeit the rest of the down payment or go ahead with the banquet. I'm sorry, I really am. It seemed crazy, but the more the jilted bride thought about it, the more she liked the idea of going ahead with the party. Not a wedding banquet, mind you, but a big blowout. You see, 10 years before, this same woman had been living in a homeless shelter. She had got back on her feet, found a good job, and set aside a sizable nest egg. Now she had the wild notion of using her savings to treat the down and outs of Boston to a night on the town. And so it was that in June of 1990, the Hyatt Hotel in downtown Boston hosted a party such as it had never seen before. The hostess changed the menu to boneless chicken in honor of the groom, she said. And she sent invitations to rescue missions and the homeless shelters. That warm summer night, people who were used to peeling half-gnawed pizza off the cardboard dined instead on chicken cordon bleu. Hyatt waiters in tuxedos served hors d'oeuvres to senior citizens propped up by crutches and aluminum walkers. Bag ladies, vagrants, drug addicts, took one night off from the hard life on the sidewalks outside and instead sipped champagne, ate chocolate wedding cake, and danced to big band melodies late into the night. You know, contrary to what most people believe, heaven is not going to be like one long, boring, never-ending church service. Instead, Jesus taught that heaven, more than anything could be described as a party, a big blowout party to which everyone is invited, but only a few of the most unlikely guests are actually going to attend. And that's the theme of the parable we're going to look at today. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 22 as we discover why the kingdom of God really is going to be a party. Now, this story could actually be told or seen as a play in three acts. And we have act one of the play beginning in verse two. Look at it with me. For the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. Now, let's stop here and make the obvious uh, application. I believe Jesus was alluding to a future wedding banquet that is yet to take place. In the Bible, we call it the wedding supper of the Lamb. The Bible says in Revelation 19, when Jesus Christ returns at his second coming to set up his millennial kingdom, and you and I will return with him since we'll already be in heaven, when he gets to earth, God's going to throw a party for his son. Why? Because his son is married. His son is the groom, Jesus Christ. He has married his bride, the church, you and I. And there is going to be a banquet called the wedding feast, the marriage supper of the Lamb. I think that's an allusion to what's going on here. 
Well, such a celebration was quite an honor to be invited to. Not just anybody got invited to the palace for such a celebration. Now look at verse 3. It was normal in the Middle East to send out two invitations to such an occasion. Verse 3, and he, that is the king, sent out his slaves to call those who had already been invited to the wedding. Now, let me explain again. In the Middle East, you would send two invitations to uh, a celebration like this. The first one would go out several months ahead of time. Do you ever get those postcards in the mail, save the date, you know? Well, that had already gone out. That's the first invitation. The second one was a couple of hours ahead of the party, the slaves went out to remind the guest that the wedding feast was about to come. However, even though these guests had not RSVP'd months earlier, and now he sends out his slaves to ask them again, they still are unwilling to come. The king could have canceled the celebration right then, but he didn't do it. After all, he wanted to honor his son, so he goes an unprecedented step of actually sending a third invitation. Look at verse 4. And he sent out the other slaves, saying, Tell those who have been invited, Behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fattened livestock, and all are butchered, and everything is ready. Come, come to the wedding feast. And what was their response? Verse 5, and they paid no attention and went their way, one to his own farm, another to his business. How did the people respond to this third invitation? Jesus says there were actually two responses. Some declined the invitation because of their indifference. They were indifferent to this opportunity to come and be a part of the wedding feast. By the way, I've heard a lot of excuses about why people don't come to church. And when I'm talking to somebody about their spiritual relationship to Christ, sometimes I ease into the conversation by talking to them about their church attendance. And people have come up with all kinds of reasons for not coming to church. It's too hot or it's too cold. It's too loud. It's too soft. The music's too contemporary. The music is too traditional. But some years ago, I heard the excuse to end all excuses. I was pastoring out in Eastland. It was the late 1980s, and Deacon and I went to the home of somebody on our rolls, a couple, an elderly couple who had never darkened the door of the church since I had been there. And so we went out to visit with them, and so I brought up their church attendance. I said, can you tell me, I notice you haven't been at church. Why don't you come to church? And the woman said, oh, pastor, said... "Uh, we, we, we were just so shaken by the war, we haven't gotten over it. I thought to myself, war? You know, and I blurted out, what war are you talking about? She said, World War II, of course. The big one. We just hadn't gotten over it yet. Something that happened 50 years ago, they were using it as an excuse not to come to church. Well, that's what these people did. They were talking about reasons not to come to the wedding feast. Some people respond with indifference, but amazingly, verse 6 says, some actually responded to the third invitation with anger. Verse 6 says, and the rest seized these slaves, mistreated them, and killed them. Here are these slaves issuing a third invitation, come to the wedding feast, enjoy the great banquet, and these people respond by killing the messenger. Why in the world 
Would people get so angry about coming to a feast? It doesn't make sense that people would get angry about being invited to a party. Just like it doesn't make sense for people to become angry when you invite them to become a part of the kingdom of God. It's not rational when you think about it. And the fact that people do get that angry, some people only shows how separated from God they really are. And that's what happened here. What was the king's response? Look at verse 7. But the king was enraged, and he sent his armies and destroyed those murderers, and he set their city on fire. After all, he had a son who was about to get married. He wanted to honor the son. And so he came up with an idea. And that begins Act 2, starting in verse 8. And then he said to his slaves, The wedding is ready. The down payment has been made. (laughs) But those who were invited were not worthy. So go, therefore, to the main highways, and as many as you find there, invite to the wedding feast. And so those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all that they had found, both evil and good, and the wedding hall was filled with the wedding guests. It was unthinkable that these people were the ones who would enter into the king's palace. But you know, the fact that they came made a much more exciting party. I like what one writer said. He said, had the first group that actually had been invited, if they had actually come to the wedding party, it would have just been one more dull, stiff-browed affair. Nothing special. These people had been to the palace before. Nothing special about going to the king's palace. But just imagine what it was like when these street people walked into the king's palace for the first time. And you can just see them walking around, looking around, their mouths wide open. And finally, one of them yells to the other one across the room, Hey, Joe, get a look at this place. Now we know where our tax dollars are going. I mean, this was a big deal for them to come. Had the first group come to the wedding banquet, it would have been no big deal. It probably wouldn't have even rated one single paragraph in the Jerusalem Morning News. But when the second group came, The blind, the lame, the crippled, they came to the king's palace. It was an event that would be talked about for years to come. Jesus' point was very simple. The reason the first group neglected or rejected the king's invitation, they had no need to come to the banquet. They felt like they were satisfied. They felt like they had all that they needed to satisfy themselves. This second group, they accepted the king's invitation because they were hungering for something. They wanted to be satisfied. And what a great lesson for all of us. Those who accept God's invitation are those who recognize their need before God. Now, Jesus could have ended the story right here. The story could have faded to black after Act 2 with all of these homeless people, street people, dancing late into the night to the big band melodies. But had Jesus ended the story here, we might have been tempted to get the wrong idea. Remember, this is a parable Jesus said about the kingdom of heaven. And had Jesus stopped the story here, we might have made the wrong application. We might have thought, okay, what Jesus is saying is those who are going to be in the kingdom of heaven are the poor, the handicapped, the disadvantaged. 
In other words, there's an inverse relationship between our net worth and our salvation. The lower our net worth, the greater the chance of getting into heaven. That's not what Jesus is teaching here. Our standing in heaven has nothing to do with our socioeconomic status in life. And to illustrate the real point of this parable, there is a third act, a surprising act that begins in verse 11. Look at it with me. The underdressed guest who is judged. But when the king came to look over the dinner guests, he saw there a man not dressed in the wedding clothes. Get the picture. The king's up in his quarters. The slaves come and say, Your majesty, we now have the banquet hall filled. And the king is delighted. He walks into the great banquet hall, and there are people eating and dancing and fellowship, having a great time. He looks over the crowd. He is so pleased until he zeroes in on one person, one guest who is not dressed appropriately. And he zeroes in like a laser on that one person. And he says to him in verse 12, friend, how did you come in here without the wedding clothes? And the guest was speechless. Well, here's a place where understanding the culture helps you understand what Jesus is saying. You see, it was very common in Jesus' day at a wedding banquet for the host to provide a wedding garment to every guest who attended. Now, apparently everybody else accepted the garment because everybody else was dressed properly. But apparently when this guest came and he was offered the wedding garment to put on, perhaps he looked at his own clothes and he said, you know what, I think I'll just wear what I have on. And the slave said, no, you don't understand. The king requires you to put on this wedding garment. And the person said, you know what, if what I have isn't good enough, so be it. The king can talk to me about it if he wants to. So, almost in a sense of arrogance, he said, I'll come to the wedding banquet in my own clothes instead of putting on the garment the king has provided me. Anytime I'm trying to talk to somebody about their relationship to Christ, there's one question that really cuts to the heart of the matter. It is the single question that to me determines whether somebody is saved or lost. And the question is this. If you were to stand before God and he were to ask you, why should I let you into heaven? What would you say? You know what most people would say? Most people say, well, I live by the golden rule. Or I try to keep the Ten Commandments. Or although I'm not perfect, I'm good enough to get into heaven. And that's what most people are banking on. That they are good enough. They don't need anything else to enter into God's presence. Notice what happened to this guest. His excuses for not putting on the wedding garment seemed logical until he stood in the splendor of the king, stood in his presence. He saw him in all of his majesty, and the Bible says the guest was suddenly speechless. He realized at that point he was underdressed. It's going to be the same way when some people stand before God. All of the excuses of why they didn't become a Christian, why they didn't trust in Christ as Savior, they all seem so logical on earth until they find themselves standing in the holiness and the majesty of God the Father. How did he respond? How did he respond? Verse 13, Then the king said to the servants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness 
in that place where there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Does that sound familiar to you? It's a phrase Jesus uses repeatedly to talk about hell. The person who is not dressed properly is dispatched to hell. You say, well, Pastor, isn't that kind of an overreaction? Just because the person isn't dressed properly, he goes to hell? You know what Jesus is saying here. This parable is not about how to dress for a wedding. It's how to stand before God. In the Bible, a garment is a sign of righteousness, a sign of our right standing before God. And all of us have a choice about what garment, what righteousness we want to use when we stand before God. We can either stand before God in our own righteousness or in the righteousness God offers us through His Son, Jesus Christ. Only God is capable of providing a covering for our sin. And that's what he did with his son, Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross in order to provide a covering, an atonement for our sins. And when we trust in Christ as our Savior, what we are saying is, I'm not trusting in my own righteousness, my own goodness. I'm trusting in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. Jesus gives this application in verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. It's clear what he means in this parable by that. Everyone has been called. Everyone has been invited to attend the wedding feast. Everyone is offered the gift of salvation. However, some neglect that invitation. They are so caught up with the things of this world, they don't have time to prepare for the next world. They simply neglect the invitation. Other people angrily reject the invitation. They shake their fist in the face of God and say, I don't need your salvation. Some people decide they'll approach God in their own way, in their own righteousness. Ladies and gentlemen, the point of this parable is very simple. There is only one way to be accepted by God, and that is to put on the righteousness He offers you. He offers to clothe you with through His Son, Jesus Christ. When He shall come with trumpet sound, oh, may I then in Him be found, dressed in His righteousness alone, faultless to stand before the throne. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Come one, come all. The kingdom of God is a party and everyone's invited. Don't you just love the imagery in this parable from Matthew 22? Our redemption is worthy of celebration. When we choose to trust in Christ, we are dressed in His righteousness and faultless to stand before His throne. Well, my day is always a little brighter, my burdens much lighter, when I remind myself of these biblical promises. And for that reason and more, I've written a brand new book for your child and grandchild. It's called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. How can we expect our children or grandchildren to behave like followers of Christ if we don't spend time teaching our children His stories? In my book, I'll guide your child through 10 simple lessons from Jesus 
that will guide their lives forever. My new fully illustrated children's book equips you with a fun and entertaining tool so that you can sit down and learn together. Again, every page is illustrated, and the new book is called Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids. A copy is yours when you give a generous gift. In fact, as a bonus, I'll also include the brochure I mentioned earlier called The Parables of Jesus. And be sure to respond right now so that you can take advantage of the exciting matching challenge. Because of this tremendous opportunity, every gift we receive by July 4th will be automatically matched by a group of friends and therefore doubled in its impact. David? Thanks, Dr. Jeffress. When you give a generous donation toward our Gospel Advance Matching Challenge, we'll say thanks by sending you Jesus' Favorite Stories for Kids, the brand-new illustrated children's book by Dr. Robert Jeffress. As an added bonus, you'll also receive the helpful brochure on the parables of Jesus as well. To request your copy of these resources, call 866-999-2965 or visit our website. That's at ptv.org. And when your gift is $75 or more, we'll send you the complete unedited CD and DVD sets for our current series called The Parables, Jesus' Favorite Stories. It's perfect for your small group Bible study or Sunday school class. And don't forget, because of our Gospel Advance Matching Challenge, your gift to Pathway to Victory today will be matched and therefore doubled in impact. So be sure to get in touch with us right away. One more time, call 866-999-2965 or visit ptv.org. You can also send your donation by mail. Write to P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. That's P.O. Box 223-609, Dallas, Texas, 75222. I'm David J. Mullins. Meet us this same time tomorrow for a message called How to Survive a Layoff, here on Pathway to Victory. Pathway to Victory with Dr. Robert Jeffress comes from the pulpit of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas.